Hey there. Once again, thank you so much to everyone who responded to our call out over the past few days. There is still time to share your story with us to be included in a special series that we're working on for next week about how the pandemic is affecting our lives. And we really want to hear from you. Were your wedding plans derailed by the pandemic? If so, did you get married anyway? Tell us about it. Or if you've been a guest at a scaled-down wedding, we want to hear about that too. So here's how you do it. Use your phone to record a voice memo and send it to us at applenewstoday at apple.com. That's applenewstoday, all one word, at apple.com. And make sure to say your name and tell us where you're from. We could use your recording in one of our upcoming shows. And thanks. Good morning. It's Tuesday, November 17th. I'm Shamita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. There's good news in the fight against COVID. Two pharmaceutical companies, Moderna and Pfizer, say they have vaccines that are more than 90% effective. The bad news at least for a while, there won't be enough for everyone in the U.S., let alone in the world. Both Pfizer and Moderna want the Food and Drug Administration to give them emergency authorization to distribute the vaccines. Pfizer says it should be able to produce enough doses for 12.5 million people in the U.S. by the end of the year. That's just six weeks away. Moderna estimates 10 million people. Together, that would cover just under 7% of the U.S. population. So who will get the vaccine first? CNET breaks down what we know about plans for distribution. The CDC has identified four priority groups, healthcare workers, essential workers, people with underlying medical conditions, and older adults. If you're not in one of these groups, top infectious disease expert Dr. Anthony Fauci predicts that you'll probably have to wait until April, May, or even June of next year for a vaccine. And looking beyond these priority groups, there's still some questions remaining. Will distribution of the vaccine be fair? Or will people be able to pay to get on a fast track for a vaccine? According to National Geographic, the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices recommends some of the most vulnerable people get priority. Black Americans, Hispanics, and Native Americans are three times more likely than white Americans to contract COVID-19. Black Americans are twice as likely to die from the virus. The goal of these recommendations is to make sure the vaccine gets to these high-risk groups first. But it's unclear how or if these recommendations will be implemented. These conversations about how to fairly distribute the vaccine, they're not just happening here in the U.S. Public health experts have been warning against what's called vaccine nationalism, The idea that countries are competing to secure their doses without really thinking about global cooperation. For example, in 2009, H1N1, otherwise known as swine flu, hit poorest countries the hardest. But wealthier countries were able to buy up all the vaccine doses. The Washington Post reports on what global cooperation or lack thereof could mean for COVID. So far, more than 150 countries signed on to take part in an effort to equitably distribute 2 billion doses of a vaccine by the end of 2021, and also to discourage countries from hoarding the vaccine. The effort is named COVAX, and that stands for COVID-19 Vaccines Global Access Facility. 
The Trump administration has not authorized the U.S. to sign the deal. And while this agreement is a positive move, many wealthy countries have been cutting their own deals with manufacturers. That's right. According to analysis from Duke University, Canada and the United Kingdom have already reserved more than enough potential vaccines to cover their entire populations. The United States has deals to buy enough vaccines for 455 million people. That's more than our total population. And the U.S. could end up with about a quarter of the world's total supply. Middle-income countries like Brazil and India are making their own deals, and so far they've secured enough doses for about half their populations. But low-income countries are relying almost exclusively on that global agreement, COVAX. Thomas J. Boyke, a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations and director of its global health program, tells The Washington Post the world is headed for a two-tiered system. More than 92,000 sexual abuse allegations have been filed against the Boy Scouts of America, according to CNN. These allegations came in before the Monday deadline for victims to submit their claims. The Boy Scouts filed for bankruptcy in February after already paying millions of dollars in punitive damages related to abuse cases. And now, the group's existence could be in jeopardy. NPR reports on one case of abuse. Frank Spinelli says when he was a young boy in the 1970s, A scoutmaster named Bill Fox began sexually abusing him. Fox was in his 30s at the time and a New York City police officer. He abused Spinelli for three years, and NPR reports he abused other boys, too, over three decades. In 2011, Fox was arrested and sentenced to 35 years in prison, although he died after one year in custody. That's just one of many disturbing stories. Sexual misconduct allegations have been an issue within the Boy Scouts since shortly after its founding in 1910. One of the lawyers representing a group of accusers tells the Wall Street Journal, the number of claims far outnumbers the widespread allegations against the Catholic Church. And according to the journal, there are nearly 8,000 records in what the Boy Scouts call its ineligible volunteer files. Individuals from these files were deemed unfit to be part of the Boy Scouts, often because of sexual misconduct allegations. And Duarte, the same lawyer that you mentioned, told NPR the Boy Scouts documented these types of allegations for decades, but didn't report them to law enforcement. The organization has apologized to victims and says it's taking steps to better protect its youth members. Frank Spinelli, whose story we mentioned earlier, told NPR his claim against the Boy Scouts isn't about compensation. It's about changing a broken institution. Let's head to Georgia, where two runoff Senate races will determine which party takes control of the U.S. Senate. The election is coming up quick on January 5th, so all four candidates have been hitting the campaign trail hard. Political explains how each party plans to win Georgia. Turning Georgia blue in the presidential race after nearly 30 years of voting for Republicans? James Arkin writes for Politico, that was the easy part. What the Democrats are facing now, trying to flip both of the state's Senate seats, that is all uphill. John Ossoff was nearly 90,000 votes behind the incumbent Republican Senator David Perdue in the November election. That's a big margin to try to overcome in January. 
In the other Senate race, the Democrat, Reverend Raphael Warnock, received 32 percent of the vote, which is more than his opponent, Senator Kelly Loeffler. But in that special election, Loeffler split the vote with another Republican who's running, Doug Collins. Together, the two Republicans received 45 percent of the vote. Both parties are putting all their resources and attention into Georgia. You know, it's estimated these races could cost more than $100 million. Through Enact Blue Page, Stacey Abrams raised at least $9.8 million for Democrats. And Democrats are running on this idea that the party will protect voters' health care, but it can only do it if it has control in the Senate. The strategy is to out-organize Republicans to register new voters and to mobilize those who voted on Election Day to cast their ballots in this runoff. The CEO of the New Georgia Project tells Politico, the organization identified up to 100,000 new people to register before the December 7th runoff deadline. Meanwhile, Republicans in the state are countering the Democratic strategy. They're running with the message that Georgia Republicans are now the only firewall left against a Democratic-controlled House and White House. And Politico explains they've already raised over $42 million for these races, and they're preparing for an extensive ground game across the state. Right now, there is some infighting going on within the GOP, and it's all over President Trump's effort to challenge the validity of Georgia's presidential vote count. And this could have an effect on these Senate races. Georgia's Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger told The Washington Post, the Republican Party is pressuring him to find ways to eliminate Joe Biden's thin lead in the state. He says the Senate Judiciary Chair Lindsey Graham called him and told him to throw out legally cast ballots. Graham later said he was merely inquiring about how the state's voting system works. Now, according to The Post, Raffensperger says he's shocked that members of his own party would try to discredit the electoral process, especially given the fact that these runoff elections are going to depend so heavily on turning out the base. If President Trump keeps claiming without evidence that the election results are rigged, Raffensperger said, quote, people might throw up their arms and say, why vote? You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. 